You are listening to the First Baptist Jinx podcast. To learn more about FBC Jinx, including our gathering times, visit us online at fbcjinx.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Cody Brumley. Well, good morning, church family. We are already off to a great Sunday. I got to start this morning uh, breakfast with our deacons uh, of our church. And then just now, if you missed it coming in, uh, that was our student ministry worship band that was leading for us. So young adults, high school students, uh, back in the fishbowl, all of that. Yeah, Uh, just so I, I love being a part of a full family, right? An intergenerational church where we see every generation valued and using their gifts. And there's, there's really no greater time to have that moment with them than where we're at with Ezra. So if you're, if you're new with us, we're going through a series called Returning. It's about returning to God because God is always inviting people back to him. Uh, you can never outrun him, so he's always inviting you back. And the story of Ezra is unfolding in this, in this way, where God's called people out of exile and back to him. And last week, we have this huge celebration that he accomplished the work of the temple. And they lived lives of joy because they saw God work. And then right after that, there's three words to kick off Ezra 7, verse 1. Now after this. Three words. Now after this. They cover a span of 60 years. Between the end of Ezra 6 and the start of Ezra 7, Darius the king that we saw last week, he gives way to Xerxes, king of Persia. Xerxes would choose for himself a wife by the name of, anybody know? Esther. Esther, the book of Esther happens right there in this gap. So she becomes queen of Persia. 13 years after that moment happens, His kingship gives way to Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes follows him, and he's been a king for seven years whenever we get to this moment we're going to study today. What that means is while all of that's unfolding in a national way, that God's people had gone back and rebuilt the temple. But if you remember the beginning of Ezra, not everybody went. There's a lot of exiles who chose to stay. These ones went to rebuild. They chose to stay. These exiles have kids who have kids. And we're now we've got a brand new generation of people who've grown up in exile that God's saying, it's time for you to come back to me. A beautiful reminder, by the way, that God is actively at work calling every single generation back to him. From our youngest to our oldest, God is pursuing the hearts of every generation. And we have been and will stay committed to being a church that makes sure that call goes to every generation, that values it at every single age, that God's calling people back. So that's the story that we start now. 60 years later, God's calling a new generation. It's time to return. Who's he going to do it through? Where you meet this person in Ezra chapter 7. And as we meet him, it sounds pretty familiar says that after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of, and we have a whole bunch of names because it gives his whole lineage all the way back to verse 5, to Aaron, the chief priest. So Ezra is like a great, 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 some odd grandkid of Aaron, the brother of Moses, the original priest, which means he's in the line of being a priest. That's how he would have been, how he would have viewed himself, how others would have viewed him. And this Ezra, verse 6, he went up from Babylonia. So that's where he's from. He's from Babylon. And he was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. So what's his skill set? He's a scribe. Not just any scribe. He's a skilled scribe, y'all. Right? And you might be like, it doesn't matter how skilled he is. I've never been impressed by somebody taking notes. Like, listen, 
Hey, it is pretty impressive if y'all have never done it. There's some very impressive note takers. Some of you might be in this room, all right? I just want you to know scribing is pretty impressive. Don't want no scribe. So um, they're very, I apologize, it was my ADD kicking in for just a moment. That This role, I do want to give uh, some, some uh, clarity to. So the role of scribe, you think, well, were they just a secretary writing things? They were more, more than that, especially in this moment in history. Here's why. God's people living in exile meant that the priests, like Ezra, who came from the line of priests, they really didn't have everything to do because the temple wasn't there. So they couldn't execute all that needed to be done to live holy lives, to help the people live holy lives. So in the absence of a functioning priest, and then they didn't have a king for themselves because there was a king of Persia, they'd been overthrown. So in the absence of a physical king and functioning priest, and in the absence of prophets who were in Jerusalem but not on Babylon... They're not getting a fresh word or a new word from God's people. And with those things, prophet, priest, and king not functioning, what you have is the need for someone who knows what God has previously done really well to help guide and lead and instruct and judge God's people. And that is the role that scribes were coming into. It was through this era that those note takers and those students of the word became significant to the life of God's people while they were living in exile. It's why when you get to the New Testament, you see the scribes talking and battling a lot with Jesus because people look to them as the actual kind of like final word of what was happening here. They knew this book better than anybody. And so that is who Ezra was, a scribe skilled in this law. Now, the last thing it tells us about him on an identity standpoint is the king granted him all that he asked for. So he had an end with the king. Now, what we find in chapter 7, you're going to realize is a summary of Ezra's identity, a summary of his activity, a summary of his priorities, and then we get into the story that God unfolds with him. And the summary of his identity, if he were a typical American person, would have stopped right there. This is my name. This is the family I'm from. Maybe the town I'm from. I'm from Babylon. This is what I do. Like, what's your job? I'm a scribe, That's, you know, and, and I'm a pretty good one, just saying. And on top of being a scribe from a pretty good family, living in a nice place like Babylon, I also know the king. Here's a few pictures. Let me just scroll through those. So that, that's kind of how we normally introduce each, each other in American settings. Here's who I am, where I'm from, who I know. And that's what makes me somewhat of importance. Ezra says one more thing, though, about his identity. There's a word for, halfway through verse 6, that attaches everything he just said to what he says next. For the hand of the Lord his God was on him. Ezra was from this family, from this town, given this specific skill set and put in proximity of these specific people. How did all that come to be? Because God's hand was on him. If you want a summary of Ezra's identity... The hand of the Lord his God was on him. A great example, by the way, for how Christians we are to view ourselves. I'm not the town I'm from and the family I grew up in and the best skill that I have or the important people that I know. I'm none of that. I am someone who's seen the hand of God on my life. And all of any good that comes from any of that is because God chose to make that happen. We see the hand of God in our lives. So that's his identity. Well, what was he doing? Verse 7, there went up also to Jerusalem. So it says also, meaning Ezra went from Babylon to Jerusalem, and with him, 
In the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel, some of the priests, the Levites, the singers and gatekeepers and the temple servants, all of these people went up with Ezra to Jerusalem. They land in the first day of the fifth month. It's going to tell us that he left the first day of the first month. So a four-month journey from Babylon to Jerusalem with all of those people. That's the activity of Ezra. It's what he's going to do. It's what the next two chapters actually unfold. Typical of Hebrew literature. We get a summary, and then it goes backwards in time and jumps back in, like walks us through the full process. This is kind of like Genesis 2, uh, 1 and 2. Kind of like, uh, here's how God creates things, and then let's walk back through it again. So the rest of the story is going to be how God calls him and how God actually transports him for this four-month journey and how all of that works out. But the summary of his activity is this move which comes down to verse 9. Why was he successful in this journey? For the good hand of his God was on him. Again, who is Ezra? He's all these things, but ultimately he's someone who's seen the hand of God on him. What is it that Ezra does? He leads this mass of people in this incredible way, four months, to get to Jerusalem. But how is it summarized? It's summarized that, that God's hand was on him. Another example for us. What have you done in your life? Hopefully you can pause and look back and go, what, what I've done is I've seen God's hand in my life. I've seen God orchestrate and do and move and work. And any good that I could tell you has happened, it's been the hand of God. And that's how Ezra sees it. So that's his identity. That's his activity. Now we're going to get a glimpse into his priorities because the, the author tells us because of his priorities is why God chose to work this way through Ezra and why he recognizes things the way that he does. The reason that God had brought this successful journey on Ezra, verse 10, for Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. This is a really important verse. If you're an underlining person, uh, th this verse matters, Seven, I'll read it again. For Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. The reason Ezra could look at his life and realize who I am, where I'm from, what I'm good at, who God has put me around, has all been orchestrated by the hand of God. The reason that God is going to show favor on his life to get him from Babylon to Jerusalem in this incredible journey and him be able to trace back and say, that wasn't me, that was just the hand of God. He's going to see that because this is where his attention was. The priorities of Ezra was not to lead a movement, not to be known, not to be something. His priorities were to study the law, to do it, and to teach it. What is your heart set on? When was the last time you evaluated your own heart? Said, what's my heart set on? If someone were to evaluate my life and say, where do I find my identity? What's my heart about? What am I most passionate about? Ezra's, it was very clear. His heart was set on the law of God. First, to study it. Now, something we read about the law of God earlier, we kind of glanced over. If you go to Ezra 7, verse 6, whenever it tells us that he's a scribe, it says that he was skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. This is an important thing for us as believers in understanding the written word. See, the law was of Moses, meaning it was of Moses' hand. So he studied what Moses himself had written, and then it had been scribed, passed down and passed down and passed down. But who did it say actually gave it? So it was the law of Moses from God. God is the source. God gave it. 
So of Moses from God. So when we hold this, this is of Moses and of Ezra and it is of Paul and it's of Luke, but it's from God. God is the source of this. He is the one who's revealing himself through this. So when we think about this book, this isn't just a book of information. This is a book of relationship. This is where God said, I can be seen and known and understood. It's from here. And so whenever he studies the word, he's not studying for information. He's studying for relationship. He set his heart to know God. But not only that, he set his heart to do it. Right before Nike was around, Ezra was way ahead of the game. He said, I'm going to read it. It's just going to do it. It's whatever it says. Why? Because he wants to experience God. Not just know him intellectually. He wants to experience him fully. I'm going to set my heart to study this and to do it. If this says pray, I'm going to pray. If this says believe, I'm going to believe. If this says have faith, I'm going to have faith. If this says I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven. If this says don't be afraid 365 times, I'm not going to be afraid. Whatever it says to do, I'm going to do. Because that's how you experience God. And then it says to teach. So in that sense, he set his heart, I will know God. I will experience God by keeping his word. And I'm going to share God. I'm going to live a life that lets other people know that they can experience and know God. This isn't a about the gift of teaching. This is about a commitment to living lives through which God works through you and to those around you. So this is for everybody. Every believer can set their heart to know and to study and to teach. And that, it's that posture, a life led by God's word. It's that that allowed him to see God's hand. A life led by God's word let you see God's hand because the more time that you look here you understand who God is and how he works and then whenever you look up you're like wait I see him doing that even now in my life the same way that God orchestrated who Ezra was where he was from the skills he had and who God put him around I see him doing that in my life that where I'm from the gifts I have and who I'm in proximity to God put me there for a purpose it all becomes clear as you look here so, that's the summary of who Ezra is. What we're now going to do is see this actually fleshed out. How was the hand of God on him? What did it look like? And so it pulls us into the story at verse 11, where the favor of God is given on this guy, Ezra, through a letter from the king. So this king gives Ezra, the priest there in Babylon, a letter. The priest, the scribe, a man learned in the matters of the commandments of the Lord, the statutes of Israel. Artaxerxes, king of king, Ezra the priest, the scribe, the law of God of heaven, peace. It says, and now I make a decree that any one of the people of Israel, their priests or Levites in my kingdom, who freely offers to go to Jerusalem may go with you. Really important. Then the verse 13, may go with you. This was a personal letter from the king to Ezra. This isn't like the giant decree sent out to everybody. This is saying Ezra. Anyone that you say, that you ask to go, if they want to go with you, they can go. Now imagine for just a moment that you spent your life as a nerd. Some of you, this is less hard to imagine. Some of you, it's a little more difficult, depending on which side of the locker you were on. So imagine, though, you're just a student. If that's your jam, 
You read, you study, you know, you write. And then one day the king's like, hey, you know this so well, you're actually going to lead thousands of people out of this 900 miles around a mountain stretch is 500 straight, 900 based on the roads they had to take, four months journey to get them there and then to make sure that whatever this book says, God's people are actually doing. You gave your life to be a student and suddenly God asked you to be a leader. Can you imagine Ezra's surprise? Can you imagine having that thrust on you? Whoever wants to go with you. That's exactly where Ezra was. And you might look at it and think, man, that, that feels really unfair. But look at the next thing the king tells him. He says, I make a decree, right, that any of these people that go can go with you. Why 14? For you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your hand. Ezra was sent not because he had everything he needed in of himself. He was sent because he had everything he needed in here the law of God that was in his hand. This was the authority he was sent on. This is the work he was sent to do. God, through his word, had resourced him with everything that he would need. And so the king sends him with that. He says, I want you to go. On top of that, summarize a little bit, the king also says, I'm going to send you with all the silver and gold, all the other treasures we could find that belong, everything that you need to pay for anything that happens in the house of God, we're sending all of it with you. And if there's some leftover money, verse 17 says, you and your brothers, do with the rest of the silver and gold. You, you may do whatever you want according to the will of God. Just make sure that the vessels that belong in the house of God get into the house of God. So, so, This is God's power through his word. It's now God's will. However God leads you, do that. He makes another decree to go on and say, also, whatever Ezra needs, this is now written to the province that he's going to. Like, hey, the king gave me this letter. It says, whatever I need, you're going to give all of it. And that's exactly what it says. Here's everything he can have all the way down to... uh, Verse 23, whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of God that is in heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. There's that motive again from the king, the pagan king. I don't want God against me, so God's people better be living the right way. A quick side note, by the way, may it never be said of us as Christians that people who don't actually believe in God have a higher standard for Christian living than we do for ourselves. Like we... We should own that God has set us free, that God has given us grace and forgiveness and kindness and gentleness and all the fruits of the Spirit. Like, we should, we should love that that's us. And I found myself before where someone looked at me and said, hey, aren't you supposed to be a Christian? And it stings so deep because you're like, you're right. I, I have no reason to be caught up with the things of this world the way that, that, that would move me this way or bother me this way or anger me that way. And here we see the king, who's a pagan king, going, hey, I don't even know if I believe in this God, but I do know this. God's people better live God's way because I don't want God's wrath on any of this. In that sense, let's make sure that we are always people who say, you know what, the most passionate person about me living in the fullness of my Christian life is going to be me. Right, so the onlooking people know you're living exactly like your God told you to. So that, that was the motive that pushes him out there. But then verse 24, he goes on to say, we also notify you that it's not lawful to impose tribute or custom or toll or anything else on them. So he, he, he goes on to say through here, 
Basically, everything that is needed comes out of the king's treasury. Everything that's needed, we're going to pay for. You can't even tax the people that are doing the work for God because we're providing for all of it. Just an, an incredible act of favor on God. Verse 25, and you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand. Once again, the tension goes back here. According to the wisdom of God that's in his hand. He says you need to find other people. And there's three people described in the people of God right here, by the way. First, it's those that know this book. It says, hey, others who know this, raise them up. Have them teach, have them judge, have them lead. The people who don't know it, teach them. That's the next round. Whoever doesn't know this, teach them. And then there's a third group. The third group's in verse 26. Whoever will not obey. So there's people that know it. If you know it, hey, share it. If you know this book, help other people know the book. If you don't know the book, get to know it. Be around people. Be in a group. Ask someone to help you figure it out. Like Find relationships to say, I want to know God, so help me make sense of this. But then there's this third person who just says, hey, I don't care. Not doesn't do the will, as in like they make mistakes, but will not do the will. I'm willing that I'm not going to do what God wants me to do. I refuse to accept him. Those people have actually removed themselves from the body of believers based on their rejection of God. And so he gives Ezra full permission to recognize it. Hey, their willfulness against God has already removed them, so you decide what's right for them. Death, banishment, take all their stuff. You're like, well, that sounds really mean. Yeah, except for the fact that they are running from God and want to be in the middle of it pretending that they're not. And he's like, hey, don't, don't let them pretend. Invite them in. Let them believe. Teach them to believe. And if they won't, remove them. It's, it's a small picture of church discipline. Now, ultimately what we have here, um, personally, is a passage that's really helpful for pastors. It encourages me as I look at this. Because I see this, I'm going, here's a young guy who gave his life to the word, and suddenly he's asked to lead people and to make decisions, and to accomplish a mission. And he's not doing it based on everything that he's got. He's doing it based on this word. And so just as a reminder of what you would hold this church to, and what you would hold anyone else who wants to advance the mission of God to, we're not relying on anything except for the Spirit of God, exalting the Son of God through the Word of God. And so anyone who would want to lead God's people comes from here. That's what's great about this church family, is, is this is what's present. We're just representing what God has clearly presented in his word. So Ezra sets a beautiful example for pastors and where their heart should be, but it's not just for pastors. It's for all of us in the different places that we've got in our life. You prioritize God's word in your life, and you're going to see his hand working through you. And I want to look at how Ezra responds. Ezra responds to this moment in verse 27 and 28. It moves to first person. He's been writing about Ezra. He's been writing about the history of God's people since chapter 1. But now, Ezra, writing as himself, says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king, to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, and who, sorry, and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors, and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage, for the hand of the Lord my God was on me. I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. I love these two verses. I love this picture of Ezra the scribe being handed a letter from the king that says, all right, it's time to work. I made you. 
God has made you for this moment. I've called you up to this moment. You have full permission, full authority, full resources. Everything that you need to accomplish, what God has set out for you to accomplish, is amply supplied. It's time for you to do it. And Ezra's response is to be moved by this. I just say this as a general reminder that God's hand moves us. God's hand that should not immobilize us. A relationship with God means that we actually shouldn't be having these moments where we're like, oh yeah, things are good. Like I'm just, I'm not, I'm not advancing the gospel. I'm not working on anything. I'm not participating with what God's doing in my life. I'm just sitting here and looking back and going, God's hand's been so good. I'm not going to do anything new with that, but I am going to keep enjoying it. Like there's a place to, to enjoy it, but God's hand is actually accomplishing God's plans. And so you have to recognize if you see the hand of God in your life, it's because he's moving you somewhere. God has something he's moving you into. God's hand moves us. Where does it move us? A couple of spots that we see from Ezra's response. First, it moves us to praise. God's hand moves us to praise. He says, blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers. He's amazed at the work of God. God's hand moves us to clarity. It says, who put such a thing into the house or into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord, who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors. Ezra now realizes, wow, everything that I am, everywhere I'm from, all the skills I have, the favor that I have, the relationships that I have, God's been orchestrating all of that. It becomes clear to him. God's been in this. And church, this is still true for you today who you are, what gifts you have, where you're from, who you're around, is from the hand of God in your life. And please hear me say this. If you hear all that and you're like, yeah, Cody, I'm not really like sitting around influential people. There's no like king in my life or things like that. I'm not around anyone important. God's word teaches that all humans were made in the image of God. Therefore, all humans have the same value before God. If you are around people, you are around important people, and you're around people God chose for you to be around. He has made you, saved you, gifted you for them. And so you should recognize that if you are an educator, you're around kids all day, and you're like, that's who I'm around. Yes, and God put you there for a reason. If you are working in an office, you're on the same people every day. Yes, those are the, God, the people that God put in your proximity. If you're the stay-at-home parent, and you are there teaching, and you're with your, with your kiddos, great. Those are the people that God has put around you, the people in your neighborhoods, the people at your stores, the people at your work. God has brought you from where you are, gifted you as you are, and put you where you are because he's unfolding his plan. Don't, let's not miss it right? Let's not waste our life going, oh yeah, I saw the hand of God in my life one time way back there somewhere. I remember it was so good. No, look for it today. Where's God's hand today? As I look at a couple that was like, hey, it's time to step into a new thing, right? Let's start a group. God's hand's moving. Let's go. Those stories, live inside of those stories today. And to do that, you're going to need courage. And God's hand moves us there. God's hand moves us to courage. I actually want to come back to that. The last bit of this is God's hand moves us to community. As soon as he realizes God's in this, he goes and he gathers leading people because the Christian life isn't meant to be done alone. If God's calling you to something, he's calling you to that alongside other believers. And so don't do that alone. Find people to support you, pray with you, encourage you, walk with you. But I do want to go back to that idea of courage 
because Ezra's courage did not come from who he was. Ezra wasn't like, oh, I see what you're doing, Lord. I come from a great line. I've got super mad skills at scribing. The king's my buddy. Of course, I was made for that. Instead, he sees those and he goes, of course, your hand is at work. His courage didn't come from who he was, who he knew, or what he could do. His courage came from recognizing that God's hand was orchestrating all of it. His courage came from seeing the hand of God on his identity, the hand of God on his activity, and the hand of God on his life. That's where our courage comes from. Our courage to walk in a way that leads the next generation to return to God comes from here, from being committed here. All those other things, who you are, where you're from, who you know, Those are actually, a lot of that's out of your control. God's orchestrating that. He's wired you certain ways, allowed certain things to fall into place. What's the one thing you can do? You can set your heart to know God, to experience him fully, and to share him with others. That's what you can do. That's what I can do. I can set my heart to this. And it's so vital that we do it because that's what the next generation needs. And I want want to close with this. Because, again, I think Ezra is such a fitting person to lead this next generation because they, like I said, they were absent, this prophet, priest, and king spot. And so they just needed someone who could take the word and apply it to their life. It's what I try to do in the lives of my kids. It's what we try to do in the lives of this church. The next generation to return to God, please hear this, they do not need a king. They do not need the next celebrity. They do not need the next perfect person in office. They do not need the next great spokesperson that everybody wants to follow and everybody's wooed by. In fact, that person I might even be a little weary of. We don't need a king. Do you know why? We have one. And his name is? Yeah, you guys did better than 830. I'm telling them next week. His name's Jesus. We already have a king. We sing about him. He is Right now, physically, on the throne, he reigns and is unfolding his plan. So we actually don't need a new celebrity or someone to look up to. We have a king. We, we don't need a prophet. We don't need a new word, something we haven't heard before, something that stirs us in a new way that's never been said before. We have the final word here, closed in Revelation and done. God's already told us how the story ends. We don't need a new word. We need clarity on what God has clearly said, and we need to live it out. And we don't need a priest to mediate between us and God somehow because we have the great high priest doing that through his own sacrifice. And his name is? He's already done it. Prophet, priest, and king, everything that we need. So we should stop looking for those. The next generation doesn't need those to return. They need a scribe in their life. They need you. Knowing God and experiencing God fully in your own life and willing to tell someone else, hey, you can know God and you can experience him too. That's what people need to return to God. May it be so of us, church. Let's pray. God, I thank you for meeting us in this time today. I thank you for meeting us in your word and thank you that you are the authority and you've invited us in. Over these next few minutes, God, would you stir us to move? Would you move our hearts to be courageous people for the sake of the next generation? In Jesus' name we pray.
Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to our podcast. We hope that you've been encouraged and challenged to take steps closer to Jesus. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, share with your friends. It really does make a difference. And lastly, make sure to follow us on all of our social media at FBC Jinx to keep up with all that's going on in the life of our church. Again, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week.